You're listening to Academigig, Season 2, Episode 3. Academigig is a podcast for current and aspiring academic creatives, freelancers, and entrepreneurs. Along with every episode, we post show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript. You can find these materials, sign up for our email list, and share your ideas for episode topics at academigig.com. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Katie. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. I am super excited today to talk about systems for our businesses. This is like one of my favorite topics right now. We are giant nerds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are. And hopefully some of the people listening to this are nerds too. And this yes. is something that they will be interested in. Um, so, I mean, first of all, let's maybe say, what do we mean when we're talking about systems? Do you want to start with like a basic definition? Yeah, sure. Um, we talked about this a little bit before we hit record. Um, but I think for for me, when I'm thinking about a system, sometimes it can be um, a little bit intimidating. And so if listeners out there are feeling like, I don't know what a system is for my business, or how do I build a, a stream of, you know, making work get done? Basically, uh, the way I think of a system is um, basically a, a process that you have, whether you think of it as a system or not, but it's a process by which you get your work done or, or move things forward in your work. Um, and so that can be something um, really regimented, but it can also just be sort of those habitual things, um, even if it's like making sure you get things on your to-do list and checking them off in certain ways. Like that's a system for productivity that works for some people. So um, when I think about systems for me, I'm definitely thinking about what are those processes that I have in place that help me get my job done? What about you, Katie? How do you think about systems? Well, I definitely think, you know, sometimes systems sneak up on you because it's the things that you're doing over and over again that, like you said, are very habitual and they may not even be written down, but you've like over time created a really efficient way of doing mm -hmm. something. Or you might be in a situation, um, and I know we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit later on, about like onboarding new clients where you're like, oh, this is so inefficient. You know, like right. I, I feel like I'm recreating the wheel every time I do this, you know, every time somebody contacts me. And so then you realize, I probably should think about a system for this. And in the past six months or so, this has been something I have really been focusing on for my business because I onboard different kinds of clients for different kinds of things, and they all need something slightly different. But there's also overlap in some of those mm. systems in what they get from me and in the, the tools I'm using and things like that. So I actually like mapped everything out. And, and this is, I think, what's really helpful about trying to think about systems is just starting by writing down the steps. Like pretend mm. like you had to hand it off to someone else. How would you describe the steps that you take when you're doing a particular part of your business? Mm -hmm. And for those of us who work by ourselves, this I think is, is something we don't really do as much as we should. And when I brought on my life partner as my business partner, I was forced to do this because mm. he needed to know all the different steps of what was going on. And I was keeping a lot of it in my head. And so I started to kind of, you know, write out and map out what we were doing for different client work and other kinds of processes within the business. And what a relief it was to get it out of my brain and like onto my whiteboard, which is where we originally mapped it. Yeah, I have a, a similar sort of uh, situation where um, when I brought on um, my producer, Tom, who does a lot of my video work, we had to talk through what was going to be a system that worked 
jointly for both of us. So uh, slightly different in the sense that I wasn't necessarily saying, okay, this is exactly how I do things and here, go run with it. It was more of a like, okay, how do you do your work and how do I do my work? And let's see if we can kind of meld something together that works for us. Um, And so for us, we have like a series of, you know, Google folders and documents where we're kind of keeping track of different things and a few different spreadsheets and um, a lot of back and forth conversation throughout the week um, using Slack, for example. So um, I think there are a lot of different ways to think about systems and to think about collaborative systems where you're working with other people and trying to build something, uh, something new, something that works for multiple people, as well as systems that work for you individually, um, if you're kind of off on your own doing your own thing. Right. Well, and I think also, like one of the things I'm always keeping an eye out for now is when is something breaking down? Like when is a system maybe that I set up for myself? And a good example of this is like at one point I was flagging my email when I needed Mm -hmm. to follow up on something. And now I have like 80 things that are flagged for various reasons. Like (laughs) I have the same problem. (laughs) And it's just not it's not a useful system for me anymore. And I've I've always tried to stay away from using my email as a to do list. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point I need to go in there and just clear a bunch of stuff out. But you know, that's the other piece is like paying attention to the systems helps you to see when something is broken and mm-hmm. helps you to kind of go in there and tweak and change and, you know, figure out how to make it more efficient. And and for mm-hmm. me, that's the key thing is I feel like systems save me time because I don't have to think every single time that this thing that happens regularly, like every time mm-hmm. it happens, I don't have to think about it. I can just like use the system and it, my brain energy can go elsewhere. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, you don't have to kind of hold that and keep that in mind the whole time. I think we should definitely talk a little bit about email systems, maybe not right away here. But um, that's something that when I talk to people, everybody has a slightly different way of approaching email. And some people are like horrified by the way I do it. And some people are like completely confused about I don't even know how to handle my email. Um, But email is something that I think everybody has to deal with at least on some level these days. And so we should I think Katie, I think you and I should share a little bit about how do we grapple with email? Because it's the it just is a fact of life these days. <laughs> right. Well, I want to start with you. I'm very curious about what horrifies people. So tell tell the story of your email. And I'm, <laughs> I want to see if I'm horrified. Um, so I, I know a lot of people who are like inbox at zero people, right? So people who want to make sure that their inbox is at zero, or maybe like if it's a really busy week, it's up to like 10 to 15 messages that need to be dealt with. I let things sit in my inbox. (laughs) So I have like thousands of messages in my inbox and that horrifies some people. Um, But I will say that like through the course of the last few years, I uh, have learned how to use some of the tools in in Google Mail. So I use Google um, Mail for, for most of my email. And so I use things like filters and I use things like tags um, to kind of keep track of things when they come in. So some things will label automatically. Um, So for example, I have things when I get an email from Tom, my producer, say it's like labeled as YouTube videos, you know, process or something like that. So when it comes, it hits my inbox. Google filters through and labels it those things. So then later when I'm like, oh, shoot, I had that email from Tom a while back about this process. You know, I need to go find it. I can just do a quick filter search where I just click on that filter and it just shows me those messages. So I have um, kind of built up that system 
where I'm labeling things as they come in, or if there's something I need to follow up on, I have a bright red um, follow up tag that I put on things where um, I can still, you know, not have the little notification icon about thousands of messages in your inbox, but I know that I need to follow up on things. So then like at the end of the week, when I'm kind of running a little bit low on energy, I can go through and look at those follow-up emails and say, okay, what are some of these emails that I need to crank through or, or smaller things that I need to follow up on that weren't burning and urgent when the email originally hit my inbox, but are now things that I can attend to. So I have some things like that set up, but yeah, a lot of people are horrified that I just kind of keep things in the inbox, but for whatever reason, that just seems to work better for me. Well, <laughs> what about I'm- I'm less horrified, but more impressed that you have like these filters. When you're like, "Oh, I have filters," I was like, "Ooh, filters!" Like filters I mean, are magical. I'm, yeah, right. I'm not horrified. I mean, I well, and I think so many people are doing that now with yeah. just leaving everything in there. And and I'm a so I'm a dual person. At my okay. day job, I am an inbox zero person because I mm. use Outlook, and so and I have a very detailed file management system in my mm-hmm. inbox where or in my Outlook where I file everything because it's just okay. easier for me to find it. So I don't use filters. I just file. Um, but it's kind of the same thing. Um, I've, I've chosen kind of a preset organizational strategy. But in my work email for the side business and, and for just my whatever email that comes in the door, I do the same thing that you do. And I just mm. use the mail client on my Mac and... What I will do, um, and I, I'm not thrilled with this system, but this is what I'm doing recently, is if something needs to have an action taken, I just leave it unread. So mm-hmm. I, or I'll mark it as unread. And then within a week, usually I've cleared it out. So there's probably less than 10 emails that are always marked as unread. And I can give an example, like I'm working with a website client right now. And I have an initial build of their site done, and um, he's been sending me assets to add into the site. And I have several emails marked as unread from him because I'm going to be working on that site this weekend. Mm. So I will go in and like one by one kind of check off those emails. And But it's easier for me to find them when they're marked as unread. And I could search for his name or whatever, but it's kind of a trigger for me that, you know, once those are processed, then I, you know, they're they're marked as, as read. So it's kind of using it as a to-do list, but... It's more like, um, hey, pay attention to this thing. And when I flag it, it doesn't have the same power as if it's just marked as unread because I know I'm someone who reads pretty much everything that comes from my email. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. If there are things that are kind of urgent and demanding my attention today or or you know very soon, I'll usually leave the messages unread for the same reason. It's just like, okay, you actually have to make time to deal with this today. For me, I, I'll use follow-up as a like, okay, you need to deal with this this week, but it's going to require more brain space than you have at this immediate moment or that you're right. going to have today. Um, you're going to have to respond to this more thoughtfully or, you know, send something back that you've reviewed or whatever. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting how you can kind of, in your brain, develop different um, sort of cues for yourself. So if it's unread, it's like, red alert, <laughs> we need to deal with you right now. Whereas if it's like tagged other things, you can kind of put it aside and then come back to it later. It's it's always interesting hearing how people do email. <laughs> right. Well, and I know that we're going to get into um, like a client relations management system conversation mm-hmm. on a later episode. But the other piece I should add is that when I'm processing email, and especially for people who are inquiring about new services or who are, you know, a current client, a lot of that gets kind of copied over to mm-hmm. my CRM. And there is a way for me to send emails directly that are case specific to my CRM and have them like filed 
with a particular client. And and so we'll get into this at a different time, but that's another part of my email management is that I'm connecting it with this other system so that I, yeah. I have like client specific files basically that I'm that I can look in at in a different system than my email client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, Katie, what other systems uh, do you have set up in your business uh, and and how do those work and what tools or products do you use um, to kind of get the work done? So the the big one for me recently has really been about client onboarding. And um, so, for example, like I try to treat pretty much all inquiries in the same way. And I've tried to set up systems where I know the steps and the steps are always the same. So I've created, for example, um, a PDF document for a lot of my services that there's like a separate document for each, um, for my coaching services, for um, my website services, for my speaking services and different things. So that when somebody inquires about that, the first step is to say, thank you so much for inquiring. Here's some additional information. Let's set up a phone call to talk more about your event or you know what it is that you wanna do. And they all get that same kind of like PDF document. Mm -hmm. And my website has some information on it, but this PDF document usually includes more detailed information. It includes pricing information so that people can decide right away if this is something they wanna do. Um, So taking the time to create those PDF documents was something that I did to kind of um, make sure that step of the system was in place. And then as I... um, I, I don't want to get too far into kind of the CRM piece of this because I know we're going to talk about it in a different way, but there's there are systems that I've set up that are basically templates where I know what all the steps are when a new person mm-hmm. is being onboarded. And the steps are slightly different depending on the service that they have. And so I took the time to map out what are all the different steps for each of the things so that I can literally check things off as they're happening and I know what the next step is with that particular client. Mm-hmm. So... When I sign like a website client, let's just let's just use that as an example. So somebody inquires about a website, I send them the website PDF. We have an initial phone call or Skype to talk about what their needs are and to see if I'm a good fit in order to to help them kind of with what they want to do. And I do very specific things with my website clients, and sometimes it's not a fit because I, I use very specific, you know, like WordPress themes and things like that. So they have to really kind of sign on to what I want to do. Um, And so let's say they're like, yep, let's do it. Well, then I send them a contract. And then I set up a Google Drive space for us to be sharing out um, information about their website and for them to give me assets for the site and things like that. The first step that my website clients do is fill out a series of surveys. And this helps Mm. me to know about their aesthetic preferences, what other sites they like, what, what kind of color choices they like, how they want the people who come to visit their site to feel when they get to the site, what the purpose is of the site, you know, all these different kinds of questions. And I have three different surveys that kind of come at that and from three different angles. So they go through those surveys. And then we know that the next step after those surveys is to set up a quick call because I might have follow-up questions, you know, based on the surveys. Once they've done that and we've had the follow-up call, then I do a, a menu design and a theme selection for them. And then they kind of go through and look at those things and kind of confirm that that's what they want. And then I do a beta site build. I mean, like, so there's all these little steps mm-hmm. that for every client, it's the same steps. You know, like, obviously, the sites are going to look different and there's going to be little tweaks here and there based on the clients. But I'm taking them through the same process every single mm-hmm. time. And so this also helps me, um, and especially with coaching clients, when I'm juggling multiple clients at the same time. 
because I know where they are at any given stage. And I have different levels of packages for different weeks. You know, like I have a six week package and a 12 week package. So I have a sense of kind of where everybody is at any given time because they're all going through the same process. And taking the time to map that out um, was, I can't, I mean, I can't explain how helpful it is to have the system, to have the surveys, you know, to have these things and to have basically email templates uh, for every given stage of the process. So I'm not having to think about, okay, what do I need to tell my client? What are my guiding questions when they're looking at themes? You know, like I, I have it, I've already drafted it and I've already kind of, I mean, perfected is the wrong word, but kind of honed it. So I don't have to do it again. Yeah, it it seems like in in classic Katie and Sarah fashion, uh, <laughs> Katie, you've got a much more organized uh, sort of idea about how people move through your process and things than I do um, about mine. And I, I have some thoughts about that. But I'm, I'm curious, um, for doing some of these kinds of email templates and that sort of thing, is that something that you're using uh, like MailChimp? Are you doing all of that through your, your main uh, email account or using your CRM? How are you um, building those templates? So this is a good question. Um, so this is, this is probably the area that's not as sophisticated. Um, f- for the clients that I do website maintenance for, so these are the clients where we have created their website and we do an annual plan where they we handle their security, their backups, their updates, you know, all these different kinds of things. And for those clients, we have a monthly email template that goes out through MailChimp. Um, and it's the same every month. Like we, and it kind of goes through, you know, like this is the most recent version of WordPress that you're on. This is the number of site visitors you've had. You know, like we kind of go through similar information each time. So I built that template out in WordPress. And also because we send that out to several people every month, mm-hmm. it makes sense to me to put it into MailChimp. And, and it's it's the first of every month is when that goes mm-hmm. out. But for my my other clients, like my speaking clients, my coaching clients and other things like that, typically what I'm doing is taking a previous email I've drafted for somebody else and like copy and pasting it into, mm-hmm. you know, like, so it's it's a template, but it's not like a formal template in MailChimp. It's more like right. going back and, but I would also say like those emails, some of them are more detailed. Like for example, when I have a speaking client and like the week before I, I go to a, a speaking gig, I always send them all the files and I, you know, I give them information they need and things like that. Um, and those emails are a little bit more detailed. And mm-hmm. so those I'll typically copy and paste from a previous situation because I just, it's a guide for me. But a lot of the other stuff, it's like, I just know what the next step is. So I don't mm-hmm. need like a formal email template that's like, thank you so much for inquiring about my speaking. This is the blah, blah, blah. I just say, you know, like I just respond um, and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, link the thing that I want to share with them. So MailChimp, though, is something that I use for some of the other systems of my business, like the weekly newsletter I send out, the monthly newsletter that I send out. And all of the automation emails that are tied mm-hmm. to my webinar series and um, my course that I sell and other kinds of things, I am a pretty heavy MailChimp user for those systems. So it kind of depends on what it is. Right, right. Yeah, I would say I have a, a similar sort of uh, idea about about those contacts, um, specifically with respect to speaking clients. Um, that those tend to be the inquiries I get the most of, you know, through my website and. Those, um, I, over the last six months or so, realized, okay, I'm writing the same email every time, basically. Um, 
And hey, I should just like throw all of this in a Word document and have it saved on my computer as a template <laughs> and then, you know, have that first step in the process at least be pretty standardized. Um, and so so I've started doing that um, and I've I've tweaked things along the way. So I, I, you know, wrote up a template and used that a little bit. And then over the last you know couple of weeks, I'm like, well, I don't really like the feel of that as much. And so um, I tweak it a little bit and, you know, resave it. And it's like, okay, this is what I'm going to use for now. Um, so I want to emphasize that like these systems don't have to be like set in stone. They can, you can, you know, adjust and, and um, change them on the fly if you need to. Um, And if you're not comfortable with it, if you feel like that's not sending the right message or that's not exactly how I want to express this point, um, you know, don't feel like that once you set up your system that you're stuck, right? You can, you can change your system. You have the power. (laughs) Right. Well, and, and some people use these systems like really heavily on the marketing side of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And that makes me more uncomfortable. Like, Mm. like, I I think about people and I've bought courses and stuff where people are kind of giving out email templates. And it's one of those like for sales emails, you know, like when people sign up for your list, and they'll send up like this series of automated emails to try to get people to buy something. And it's like, you know, the first email talks about one of the features. And the second email talks about a second feature. And the third email is a testimonial. And the fourth email is the direct, you know, sell. And I, I, (laughs) I'm not as interested in that. I'm Mm -hmm. more interested in the people who have signed on and already want to work with me. How can I make that experience so smooth for them? Like that's, that's really the goal for me with these systems is I want someone who decides to work with me or my business to feel like they're in good hands. And when you have systems like this, that's what it feels like. It feels seamless. It feels smooth. It feels like I am in control and I know what to do next. And like when you're hiring someone and paying them money, isn't that what you want? Right, exactly. Yeah, I think of I think of these things uh, similarly, Katie, in that I don't want it ever to feel pushy or, or like I'm trying to sell something. And so I, I want the experience to be positive and I want it to be easy and I want it to be some enjoyable even, right? Like I want their, I want them to have an email from me in their inbox and be like, oh, hey, it's Sarah, you know, as opposed to like, oh God, another email from her, wow, <laughs> you know? Right. So I, I want to make sure that that relationship is, is being built through those communications and through that, um, through that interaction in a positive way. I want people to, to think of me fondly, not not as the annoying person who won't stop spamming them. <laughs> of course. Well, okay. So you have said you're a little bit more lackadaisical about this, um, mm-hmm. as with many things that we've discussed in comparison to some of <laughs> it's the things how I, roll. I do. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, like for you, if you could maybe say what are some of the systems you've set up or that you're currently in the process of setting up, because it sounds like you're trying to still kind of figure this out. And and I should clarify, so am I. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I am not, like you said, this is an ongoing process. But also, like, what triggers you to set up a system? You know, like, what yeah. tells you this needs more structure? Yeah, Um so there, yeah, there are a few things that I'm currently working on, um, working on building up a little bit for the new year. We're recording this at the beginning of the at the uh, calendar year, and things that I'm thinking about are those kinds of tension points. I think for me, when it's when it's time to build a system, are when are those times where I'm feeling like I'm spending way too much mental or actual energy on a particular um, process, and I need to kind of 
make it feel like less of a burden for me. Um, so for example, I think about like e-newsletters. I recently started collecting uh, email addresses on my website. So if you're interested in um, my email newsletter, after I tell you a little bit about it here, um, you can go to my website and sign up for it. But um, I'm kind of in the process of figuring out what I want that to look like and what, again, what I, what do I want the experience to be um, for somebody who signs up for that email list? And, you know, originally I'd sort of gone back and forth about like, do I want it to be just stuff that I'm doing? Do I want to be sharing other people's things? Like what, what's the balance there? What do I think people are actually going to be interested in um, hearing from me about? And so I'm in the process of using MailChimp to kind of build up that template a little bit uh, and, and, you know, figure out what different sections do I want? Do I want them to be always consistent across uh, every email newsletter? Do I want it to be a little bit of a grab bag where there's a few different things? Because I, I do find that people um, run into me <laughs> in their worlds uh, through kind of very different circles. So because I work in a number of different kind of markets and fields and areas and do lots of different things, there are people who come to me because they're interested in early childhood education, for example. And then there are people who come to me because they're interested in learning about, you know, career transitions from PhD world. And then there are people who are coming to me from this podcast. So there are lots of different audiences kind of coming to this one email newsletter. And so I, I'm trying to figure out how to walk the balance between being, you know, trying to be all things to all people, but also making sure I'm providing something of value kind of regardless of where people are. So um, as I'm kind of building up that system, I'm, I'm also having to wrestle with some of these questions a little bit about what do I want this to look like long term um, and, and how do I want to structure my system in order to be flexible and fluid so I can change it if I need to, but also have it set up so that it's less burdensome for me um, on a month to month basis when I'm looking to send this thing out um, than it is currently. Currently, it weighs on my mind a lot. So I've, I've kind of ascertained that I'm at this tension point where I really need to dig in and answer some of those questions for myself. So I would say that's a big one that I'm kind of in the middle of right now. Um, but I'm hoping to kind of get that wrapped up in the next couple of weeks and, and kind of try, right, like try some stuff and see what happens. Um, that tends to be my, my mode of operation, uh, at least initially when I start something new. Um, and so, and so we'll see how that kind of all plays out. Um, I would say also in general, that my, my system for doing things is um, just sort of much more on a, on an individual basis. And part of that is because I haven't had to uh, really focus on, um, you know, onboarding lots of different people into a program at once. So Katie, what I hear you saying is that you have, you know, lots of different things that you offer that people can um, purchase individually or can sign up for individually or, you know, for your website design business, like that's a, that's a whole different, you know, kind of pipeline. Um, and, I don't have as many of those kinds of um, more more structured things set up. So for me, it's much more about like the initial inquiry coming in, somebody saying, oh, hey, I see you do this kind of work. Is this something that we could maybe work on together? I take that on a really like individual basis. And, and um, though I might have those response emails, initial inquiry emails kind of scripted, um, I do find that that conversation about you know, what is it you're looking for and how might I be able to help completely changes the rest of the conversation. So I, I find that almost from that point on, 
every interaction is individualized. And so that makes a lot of work, um, potentially, but it's also just how I, f I, at this point, at least feel more comfortable, um, kind of managing those relationships. And, you know, as you said, we'll talk about, um, customer relations management and, and how to do some of that, uh, in a future, future podcast. But, um, I think for me, I, again, I haven't hit that tension point yet. I, I don't have enough of those kind of individualized streams where I'm providing a product or providing a service, um, in that sort of systematized way. It's much more kind of on an individual basis. Um, and even my consulting work, it's, it's much more of a like, okay, what skills might you need today? Like, I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this before, but I have, you know, skills or experience in this area that, oh, hey, I think I could apply it in this particular way. So, um, again, for me, it, I always feel more comfortable, weirdly, <laughs> uh, being a little more um, kind of wild, wild west about it <laughs> in some ways, um, rather than, than having it be... Um, you know, more systematized, but I do think I'm going to reach that tension point um, with each of these things that I've described at some point, uh, and I'm going to have to figure out those systems. So for me, it's really valuable hearing from you, Katie, about how you've structured some of these things, because I get a lot of great ideas um, from the way that, that you do things. Um, so I really appreciate that, and I'm sure our listeners do too. Well, it's interesting to hear you describe it that way, because I feel like especially in the last, I don't know, six months to a year, I've been actively trying to not have that be my situation. Like, and part of it is the whole, when you first get started and someone's like, can you do this? And you're like, sure. And they're like, can you sure. do that? And you're like, sure, I can do all the things, you know, like yeah. you're just accepting everything that comes in the door. And now I am a lot more likely if somebody comes to me and they're like, can you do this? I'll be like, eh, that's not really what I do, but let me recommend someone else. I mean, like mm -hmm. I, I'm a lot more clear on the kinds of things I want to do to build my reputation because when I do something, I want to make sure that I actually want to do it. And and we've mm -hmm. talked about this, I think, in a previous episode. Like you you become known for these things and then you get hired more. And like if you don't like it, it's a problem. So like right. for a good example of this is with the web design business. When I first started out and people were like, Oh, you you've designed some cool websites. Like, will you design one for me? Initially I was like, okay, so I'm not a web designer. Like this is this is not my training. I mean, I kind of am because I design websites, but like I am not trained as a web designer. Um, and I I don't feel super comfortable with coding. You know, like again, no formal training in this, but I do know how to put together a website. You know, like I've done it enough. I've done it, you know, a lot for my own sites and now I'm doing it for clients. But what made me feel more comfortable was to say, I'm putting boundaries on this. So I'm not going to open up, you know, like when a new website client comes to me, I really work with one main theme. And that theme is very um, flexible and I can make lots of different sites and they look different and, and there's lots of different customization I can do. But I would rather work with one main theme and tell clients, this is what I do. So if you don't like this, then find someone else because otherwise I'm training myself to customize, you know, at 50,000 themes that are out mm -hmm. in the world, you know, like whatever it is my clients want. And in the beginning, I started out by giving them like three theme options and letting them choose. And now when I onboard clients, I say, this is what I do. Like I work with a WordPress. I don't do anything other than WordPress. I work with a Divi theme. And because the Divi theme is pretty kind of like energy hungry in terms of running it effectively, I really only work with clients where I maintain their website on an annual basis. Hmm. And, and we run that. So if you don't want to use WordPress and you don't want to use Divi and you don't want to have someone kind of maintaining your website for you and you're not willing to pay for that, we're not a good fit for you. 
Like mm-hmm. I, I have like niched it down to like a very, yeah. and this took some time to kind of figure out what I wanted to do and what my partner wanted to do because he does a lot of the back end work on these websites. And it took some trial and error to kind of figure it out. But now it's like, that's, you know, I've just created new promotional materials for 2018 and that is included in there. It's basically like in order to do a website with us, you're not only paying for the website, but you're paying for the annual plan. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. Find somebody else. Like, I mean, it's so I mean, I think that part of the systems piece is people get to know who you are as a business person and as a speaker and, you know, all these other things from the beginning because you're leading them through a process and they need to be able to trust you. They need to be able to, you know, see that you are responsible and and organized and all these things. And I do think as someone who has hired people in the past, whether that be speakers or coaches or, you know, other kinds of services, from the client side, it makes a huge difference. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I think that that's a piece that is the most, I mean, if you're kind of like on the fence about whether or not you need systems for your business, think about it from the client perspective. And what is it going to make, you know, the most easy for them to decide if you're a good fit in terms Mm -hmm. of your services? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, and I think we should also talk a little bit about systems, um, not so much from the uh, client relationship side of things or, or you know, the onboarding new people or, or, or working with clients, but also from a um, content creation standpoint. Right. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, I want to hear from you, Katie, about how you do your podcasting. So you have so many different podcasts going um, that I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, how do you do that many podcasts? And how does that even happen? Um, so if you can talk a little bit about your systems for that, I'd also love to talk a little bit about video in the same the same vein. Sometimes people are like, how do you get videos done that are that look like that? And you know, how does that happen? So I yes. think for a lot of people, they might be interested in hearing a little bit more about that multimedia strategy. <laughs> Yes, I want to hear about the video too. Um, Okay, so for podcasting, this is one of those things that's not even written down because I just do it so much. Um, But basically, the the basic steps are you record the, like you plan out the episode, like I do like a sketch outline on a piece of paper. I record the audio in my podcast closet, which is in my office. It's a foam lined (laughs) closet to help with some echo. Um, And then I do a quick edit of the audio and I've created a template style um, where basically I I open a previous episode that has the template and then I just drop in the new content. So like the intro and the outro stay the same. And sometimes I do like a little ad or something like that at the beginning of the episode. And so I'll I'll, if I have that pre-recorded, I'll drop that in. Um, but really what's changing is the the content in the middle of the episode. Um, and so I'll do a, a quick listen to that and some quick edits using GarageBand, um, which, I mean, for people who've never done audio editing, it, that might sound a little bit intimidating. For people who do audio editing, you know I'm using like the most basic tool in the world. Um, <laughs> and it's like super easy to train yourself on it. And I, I do like, I do, I, like the editing I do is like the most minimal editing you could possibly do. So I do that, I convert it to an MP3, and then I send it to transcription. I currently outsource that. Um, and then while I'm listening to it, I usually create the show notes. And again, I use a template um, from previous show notes that I've created in a WordPress site where I post the show notes um, for the the podcast website. So I have different websites for the different podcasts. And um, as I'm creating the show notes, I'm just filling in like links and things that I, I mention throughout the show. 
And then once I get the transcript back, which usually takes just a couple of hours, I will eventually, um, maybe not right then, but I'll go into the transcript and pull out a quote. And then I apply that quote to a piece of art, again, templated, that I've created in a, a platform called Canva. And then I take that social art and I post it. It's like the featured image that goes into the show notes of that episode. Um, and then maybe once a month or so, I'll go into Edgar, which is my social media management platform, and I'll like update my blog posts in Edgar and all the podcast episodes that have come out in the last month so that they're starting to cycle through Edgar and people can hear about them. Um, and then the day the podcast episode comes out, I'll usually post about it on some form of social media, but I certainly don't post about it on all the platforms. I, I'll just like put it in my Instagram stories or something like that. Um, so, I mean, the steps are at this point, like second nature, because I just, I've done it so much. I mean, I've put out at this point, hundreds of podcast episodes, so it's, it's very easy and also very fast. Yeah. It's, it's funny how quickly, like it can sound really overwhelming if you've never done that kind of work before. Um, but it's funny how quickly it becomes habit and it just goes so much faster, right? Like you just, you know, exactly what you have to do and you can go through it, you know, one, one after the other. Um, I have, I have similar, uh, a similar sort of process with, with videos. Um, the thing with video that I think is the most, um, uh, I don't know the thing there, there are, and I, this might be the case for podcast too, but there's sort of this slippery slope of like, how good do you want it to be? Like the production value on it. Um, and so for me, at least at this point, the, the hardest thing is not letting um, perfect be the enemy of the good or right. whatever the, the, that phrase is. Um, but for me, usually what I will do is I will script out um, a video and actually write the script. So I tend to do much better um, if I've got an actual script of what I know exactly what I'm trying to say. Um rather than kind of going off the cuff. I know a lot of other YouTubers who do, um, who just sort of speak direct to camera. Um, they might have some notes or an outline that they go off of, but are more comfortable doing that than scripting completely. I'm much more on the like script the whole thing. Um, so I know exactly what I'm saying side of the spectrum. Um, and then filming. Uh, and again, like I said, production value, you know, most most people, if you're getting started in video, use the the camera that's on your phone honestly it's it's probably as good as a pretty ba pretty like standard uh DSLR so a nicer uh, video camera that you might get um so it, it you know it takes perfectly fine video um so if you're just getting started into video there's nothing wrong with using the camera that's on your phone Make sure you have some basic, basically good lighting. Um, if you can, you know, be by a window or take advantage of some natural light, uh, that's always beneficial. You don't need the fancy light kits. Um, I, over the course of the last year or so, um, have been adding to my uh, to my sort of <laughs> video equipment. So I have uh, a three point light kit now, um, but that's because I I know that video is going to be a part of my business moving forward. But again, you don't have to do that, especially if you're just getting started and kind of dabbling in video. Um, then once I collect all the video, then it's a matter of um, getting it into uh, getting it into Final Cut Pro, which is what I use to do um, most of my video editing, and that is, I've realized one of the most fun parts for me is doing the editing because there's a lot of creativity that comes through during that process. Um, 
And it's a creative process all the way along, um, but definitely in the editing part is where I get to kind of have the most fun. <laughs> uh, and so the video I released earlier this week on my channel uh, is called um, sort of, it's basically talking about informational interviews. What is an informational interview? And I got to pull in lots of like creative and quirky things throughout the editing process. Um, so it was both fun for me and again, kind of in the that vein of making the experience the best possible for the, the viewer or your client or whoever's interacting with your content, I think it's kind of fun for them too. So um, Final Cut Pro is a, a step above. Uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty sophisticated editing software. Um, the other one that's out there is Adobe. Um, so my producer, Tom, when he takes over doing some of the editing for my videos, um, he uses the Adobe Premiere uh, suite. So um, those are sort of the kind of higher level production things, but there are a lot of freeware softwares out there too. So iMovie, I used iMovie for a long time early on um, because it was free on my computer and I could, you know, do most of what I needed to in it. So again, there's sort of levels of production value here that you don't need to go super sophisticated to kind of get the job done. Um, and then what, then <laughs> unfortunately, once you're done filming and editing, that is really the beginning of the process is because um, there's a lot of kind of back end stuff that has to be done uh, on YouTube, especially if you're if you're uploading your videos to YouTube. There are things like end screens and cards and making sure that you have all your videos captioned and, you know, monetization preferences and making sure the description section is complete and those kinds of things. Um, and I think that's probably a little much to get into um, today on this podcast. But if you're interested in that, um, you know, th there's a lot of great resources out there. But, um, you know, digging in a little bit to find out what are some of those back end processes and systems that actually make your video better, more discoverable, um, bring people to your content more readily. Um, there's there's a lot out there for that. So good luck going down that rabbit hole if that's something of, of interest to you. But um, yeah, it, it's been kind of a process, a learning process and things change constantly. Um, so I find that the platform changes. Uh, so like, as I said, there's a lot happening on YouTube um, on the back end side of things, and they're constantly making changes and adjustments. And so you kind of have to be aware and willing to to be flexible with that, which is fun <laughs> and also challenging at times. Um, so it's it's this constant flexibility and creativity, uh, but but it's a process that I love. I love having that kind of flexible freedom, but also having an idea of okay, here are the things I need to do to make this the best video possible. Well, and I think it comes down to your goals as well um, and how you're using these different parts of your business and, and the mm -hmm. different kinds of systems. Because like I currently use iMovie. I consider myself to be very amateur when it comes to creating video. Um, but I create video mostly for courses. I don't, mm -hmm. I have a YouTube channel and sometimes I put stuff out on there, but it's very informal. It is not like well-produced video like you do, Sarah. It's more like, hey, this is two minutes of me talking about what I did today for my writing retreat. I mean, it's, it's like very off the cuff um, and non-scripted. Mm -hmm. But I also like the YouTube video channel is not really part of my intentional strategy for my business. It's more right, just right. like fun. Um, and so I, I engage on there a little bit. But in terms of creating video for my courses, you know, I have a system for that where I, I you know, shoot the video, I put it in um, iMovie, I edit it, you can add, you know, intro, outro slides, things like that. And then you can go straight from iMovie to uploading it to YouTube, and then you can take the embed code and put it wherever you want. So, yep. and, and you can do the transcripts and all of that, but I'm at, I'm usually less concerned about um, some of the quality pieces when it's just off the cuff video versus, you know, stuff that I'm creating for my courses. 
Um, but the other thing I'll mention, actually, because I just started doing this and it's not entirely related to systems, but I think it's kind of interesting, is sometimes I get questions from listeners or, you know, newsletter subscribers via email, and I feel like I can't tackle it on a show. You know, like I feel like it's too personal or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've been giving them video responses, oh, which I think is kind of fun. Like, you know, like yeah. I, I want to connect and I don't want to write an email that's like 80 pages long. So I just turn on my QuickTime and I record a quick video response um, to their question or the story they've told me or whatever it is and send them off a link to the video. And I just keep the video private on my YouTube channel. So um, anyway, I mean, there's lots of different ways to use these things that sometimes you can, like, like you were saying, Sarah, experiment to see what works, what doesn't, what do you like, what do you don't, you know, and, and as things are not working, you can adjust the systems as you need to. Yeah, I think you raise a great point about video, which is that um, it, you can use it in so many different ways um, to do so many different things. And I think that's that's part of why it's so appealing to so many people. Um, and so don't feel intimidated if you're if you want to get into video a little bit and, and um, you know, you're looking around all of the big YouTubers and you look at their giant production spaces and all of that. Don't don't be overwhelmed by that, because I think there are lots of different ways to use video in productive ways for your business um, that that reach the goals that you need to reach. You know, for somebody like me, I'm trying to operate in the educational video space. And so I kind of have to, if I want to be competitive in that space, I have to think more about these higher production value things. But Katie, as you said, like, if you want to do you know, pretty candid video responses, that's a great way to use video uh, in your business and and to, again, build relationships with the people with your audience or with your clients or, you know, other people out there who you're wanting to reach. Video is a great way to do that. Okay, so as we're kind of closing this out, Sarah, what else do you want to talk about with systems? Um, I think the only other thing that that um, sometimes can be intimidating for people or, or has been intimidating for me in the past, I'll just be honest, um, are some of the design elements of things. I am not a design person. <laughs> like I am not, I don't have a visual eye in that way. Um, and so one of the things that's been super helpful for me, and we've talked about this before is Canva. Um, and I've spent a lot of time on there in the last week or so, trying to build up some templates. Now, whether that's for social media graphics, so things where I can put a little quote in there and have it be a visually interesting thing that shows up on my Twitter feed, or whether it's building letterhead so that, you know, if I ever have to write a formal letter to somebody, I have, you know, designed, you know, stuff that looks very nice and professional. Um, I have designed letterhead that I can use. Um, Those kinds of things have been always a bit of a hurdle for me. um, But I find that Canva has been really great because it has a ton of different templates that you can pick from and adjust according to what you what you like. So I'm definitely one of those people who's more able to recognize what I like and what I don't in seeing something somebody else create something, as opposed to being able to just create something from my mind of what I think looks good. <laughs> and so having those templates to work with, and to kind of tweak and adjust um, by using Canva has been super helpful. Yes. And the PDF documents I talked about previously for like my coaching and things like that, I created using templates from Canva. So Mm -hmm. I use it all the time. I'm a total power user. Um, The other piece I think I want to talk about just briefly, and this kind of gets into my my recommendation for this episode, um, my resource is systems for your finances. 
And um, this is something I've been thinking about recently, especially as I, so I've been using FreshBooks for quite some time, which is a way to invoice clients. And it allows you to track your expenses and make things really easy if you have an accountant just to kind of give them reports and things um, to help you file your taxes. And um, the resource that I want to mention to people, because I think it's really useful, is a book called Profit First um, by Michael Michaelwitz. And this is, we can link to this in the show notes, but the idea is that sometimes when you're starting a business, or even if you've been in business for a long time, it can be hard to take a salary. Um, and especially on a regular basis, because you have, mm-hmm. you know, income that's fluctuating all the time. And what uh, Profit First is about is basically like, how do you set aside profit from your business so you're not just letting your business expenses expand with your revenue? Um, mm-hmm. Because we, I think we've all experienced this. Like you start to get more money in the door and you're like, oh, well, now I can invest in this, that, or the other thing that's a cool tool. And you end up like basically just balancing out your revenue with your expenses. And some people say, you know, like this is the other thing I hear from some people is they're like, well, if I make more money, then I have to pay more taxes. And it's like, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, but if you make more money, you get more profit. And so I, I think that This is a resource that I would recommend for people who are trying to think about systems for your business finances. And and basically what the author recommends is to create different accounts. And he he walks you through what those accounts are and setting up percentages so that when you have money coming in the door, you automatically kind of distribute that money into these different accounts based on Hmm. these certain percentages. And I think it's a really helpful way to think about systematizing your income so that you're not just, you know, randomly deciding, well, I guess this month I have more money, so I'll, I'll take a salary draw. Um, and it allows you to kind of just be a little bit more uh, intentional about that. So that's my resource. We'll stick it in the show notes. Um, but I think it's helpful if you're thinking about systems and especially on the finance side. Great. I like it. Uh, one more thing I want to do just because I realized that I never actually mentioned the name of my YouTube channel. And Katie, I want to give you the chance to mention the name of some of your podcasts that you talked about as well, so that people can, you know, find us, <laughs> find our stuff. So I'm at youtube.com slash developmental enthusiast, where I talk about lots of child psych- child psychology things, but also about professional development kinds of things as well. So development across the lifespan and across your career. So if that's of interest to you, or if you just want to see how I do video, um, that's where I am. So Katie, where are you? Where can people find your podcasts and various in sundry things? Yeah, so the easiest way to find my projects is probably to go to katielinder.work slash projects. I have kind of a compiled page of all the things. Um, and, and these are frequently things I talk about on the show. Um, but the podcasts are You've Got This, which is my podcast about productivity and kind of surviving and thriving in higher ed more generally. Um, and then I have a podcast called The Anatomy of a Book, which is more about writing and publishing and how to be successful in that. And then, um, of, of course, we have Academic Gig, which is the most recent of my podcasts. And then I also produce a podcast for um, my job at Oregon State with eCampus called Research in Action, which is an interview-based show with researchers from around the world. So we will link to all of these things in the show notes. And the other thing I guess I would say, and you've kind of pointed to this, Sarah, look for examples of what other people are doing. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you find something that you like, you know, reach out and say, like, what is your system for doing this? Like, if you, if, and especially if you work with someone on the client side and you have a really good experience, pay attention to what it is that they're doing that's making you feel really good about that interaction. Because I think that that's, you know, like, once you start thinking about systems, at least what I found is I can't stop. I'm, like, totally sucked <laughs> in. Um, so I always look around to see, like, who's doing good work and, and how can I emulate that. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point to end on. Just that keep your eyes open because you never know what you can learn. All right. Well, thanks for chatting with me today, Sarah. Talk with you again yeah. soon. All right. Thanks for listening to the Academic Gig podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something useful that you can apply in your own business. Show notes with links to resources mentioned in the episode and a full transcript are available at academicgig.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list and receive over 100 great resources for recommended books, blog posts, and podcasts for the academic creative, freelancer, and entrepreneur that you won't want to miss. You can connect with us on Twitter at Academigig, or you can also find Sarah at Dr. Langworthy and Katie at Katie double underscore Linder. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation about this episode. There are several other ways to connect with the Academic Gig podcast. Visit the website to post a comment about a specific episode, suggest a future topic, or ask a question that could be featured on a future Q&A episode. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps us out and helps others find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.